0: Okay, we're in lesson 18 today, guys, and Paul's going to go turn to another subject, another subject that they're struggling with in Corinth, and that they're having some problems with, and he's going to give them some teaching as far as what do they need to do concerning this issue. And today, what he's going to be looking at, we're in chapter 11, verses 17 through 34, is the issue of the Lord's table, or as some would call it, communion it is the issue of of the remembrance of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ and so he's going to address a problem that they had concerning the lord's table and some things that they needed to be aware of and some instructions concerning the table so first of all let's look we're going to look at verses 17 through 22 of chapter 11 of 1st corinthians and we're going to look at the problem at the table Now, in giving these instructions, I do not praise you since you come together not for better, but for worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper, For in eating, one takes one's own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. Okay, before we look at the table, I want to set a little bit of a background here, because when we talk about the Lord's table in 1 Corinthians and their practice of it, it's a lot different than how we practice it. Now, you say, what do you mean it's a lot different? Well, the elements are the same. The bread representing the body. The cup representing the blood. But there's some issues as to how they celebrate it. Here's what happened, just so you understand. In their day, the church gathered on the Lord's Day, which is when? When's the Lord's Day? Sunday. When they gathered on the Lord's Day... They didn't gather for just an hour. Everybody understand me. They didn't just show up at 10 o'clock for Sunday school and 11 o'clock. for. They gathered for the entire day. Because for the entire day, they came together, and they came together for many different things. They came together for worship. They came together for instruction. But they also came together for encouragement, to encourage each other. Because, remember, they're living in a pagan culture. And this pagan culture is not happy with what they are believing in. So the persecution is a big issue, especially from Jews who would reject that Jesus is the Messiah. And so they would come together for the whole day. So when you're gathered for the whole day, you didn't just break and go to your local McDonald's or Burger King or Wendy's to get something to eat and come back. They would gather and they would have a meal. And in, their, in the early church, that meal was called the Love Feast. But understand me, it's a love feast. Why was it called a love feast? It was called a love feast simply because they were gathered together and they were to exhibit love to one another. And what would happen is, is that people would bring something, it's like the very first potluck dinners. You wonder where potluck dinners came from? It came back 2,000 years ago. It would be the potluck dinner. And so you would bring something. Now here's the problem. Because the church was diverse, so for instance, like in our church, we're mostly blue-collar people here. We're blue-collar folks, basically the same economic status and everything. So basically, what you see is what you get here, you know, and that's it, all right? There, you would have a mixture of people who had money and people who didn't have anything. And so the people who had money would bring what to the potluck? They'd bring an awful lot. And they'd bring nice. In fact, the church probably met in the home of somebody who was wealthy. You understand? They met in homes. And probably somebody, and in this church in particular, they were a wealthy church, so they probably met in somebody's home. But so these poor folks would come and they wouldn't have anything. And so what's going on here, then as a part of the love feast, they would remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ through the Lord's table, through the elements of the bread and the cup. Because you remember, when Jesus instituted the Lord's table, when did he institute it? Anybody remember from the Gospels? It was at the end of a meal, was it not? And it was a Passover meal, and it was at the very end. So that was, it probably followed that tradition that at the end of the meal, they would remember the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Now, the problem is, they had some issues going on there. They had some struggles. Now, that's the first part of the setting I want you to see. This also, when we talk about dealing with the Lord's Supper, fits right into the overall theme of things over the last few weeks, and that's the issue of selflessness versus selfishness. Selflessness versus selfishness. Because when it came to the issue last week about women wearing it, whether or not they should wear a head covering, and then before that about meat offered to idols, the underlying issue is people wanting to do what they want to do for themselves and not concerned about others around them. The same thing is happening here in the Lord's Table. So let's look and see what we can glean from this section here today. First of all, Paul's lack of praise. Paul had no praise for them since their gatherings are not for the good. Their gatherings are not for the good. Look at verse 17. I do not praise you since you come together not for the better but for the worse. Here, I want you to understand something. Here's the purpose of church. Here's the purpose of the gathering. Because the church, You are the church. The building the is a building. You are the church. The purpose of gathering is for your betterment. And what's pleasing to God is not that you show up, but that you contribute for the betterment. And when I talk about contribute, I'm not talking about financially. I'm talking about the whole person of who you are, the gifts that God has given you, everything else. That you contribute of who you are to the betterment of everyone else. Whether it's a word of encouragement, whether it's just being there, an arm, because somebody's having a tough time. And God is pleased when we gather for the better. Now, he is not pleased when a church gathers and it's nothing but problems. And this is what Paul is saying. He was not happy with them because when they got together, it wasn't for the betterment. It was for what? A detriment to others around them. There was problems. There were problems. Let me just stop for a moment. Because, you know, I've, I've, been, I've been a pastor now 15 years, almost 15 years now. I've been a Christian now 24, going to be 24 years, and, and I've been in a lot of different churches, a lot of smaller churches, and, and sometimes, how many of you have seen disputes arise in a church? All of us have. Here's the problem with it. Our egos get involved so that we think that what we're doing and what we're fighting for is more important than the unity of the church. And so we think that God is on our side. I'm going to be right honest with you. God's not happy if the gathering is for the detriment of people. And if you're contributing to the detriment, he's not happy. He's only interested in one thing. That when the body comes together, it is encouraged and strengthened because it's already getting beat up on by the world. Nobody wants to come and get beat up on where they should be encouraged. And that's, that's the point that he's making here. So this is what's happening here. There's a problem arising in this church... And he's saying to them, guys, I, I don't have, I'm not pleased with you. And here's why, because there's divisions at the table. He heard that there were, there are cliques when they gather. You know, it's interesting in, in, in the uh, pastoral church growth thinking, the, the whole concept is is that we need to, uh, you know, we, I don't know if we should support cliques. Okay, let's work with cliques, whatever. Here's the bottom line. God's not interested in cliques. It's natural for you to gravitate towards people who are like you, and that's natural. You know what I'm saying? If you've got somebody who likes NASCAR and you like NASCAR, you get together and you talk about NASCAR. Hunting guys get together and they talk about hunting. That's fine, but that should not be the norm. It should not be that when you come through the door of the church, that you're only talking to a certain type of people and you don't even talk to somebody else. That's called being cliquish. That's called being wrong. And in fact, that's called, there's a lot of terms for it. One's prejudice. And prejudice has nothing to do with race. Race is a part of it, but social economic status may be another part of it. And and what's happening here is when this church gathered, they gathered in their cliques, their little groups, and wouldn't associate with anybody else. And Paul's not happy with that. And that's not right. That's not right, because that's not what the church is, because... Think about this for a moment. Think about Jesus. Who would he hang out with when he came, if he came to church? Now He'd hang out with everybody. Do you think he would just hang out with an exclusive group of people? Remember the accusations against Jesus. What was he accused of being? A sinner and a, a winebibber. Because of who did he hang out with? Sinners. And the religious people didn't like that. Because he didn't hang out exclusively with them. He hung out with people that they didn't want to have anything to do with. The nature of Jesus was that he would hang out with everybody. And we are the body of Christ, are we not? We're the body of Christ. We should therefore reflect his attitude. And so he's not happy with them because when they come together, there are cliques. And here's the point. He pointed out that divisions are natural. Look with me at verse 19. For there must be also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. So he said there's a, there's a reason that divisions are natural, and I pointed that out to you. You're going to hang out with people just like you. That's natural. But supernaturally, as God works in your life, you've got to reach across the aisle. You've got to reach across the aisle. You've got to, you've got to move beyond that. And so he pointed out that divisions are natural. It allows those who act worthy of God's approval to be made evident. It allows those who are worthy of God's approval to be made evident. So, there are, there are purposes and cliques and so forth. But, here's the point I want you to see. But as far as just gathering for you to not interact with anybody else, that's wrong. That's wrong. Okay, let's go on. Now, here's the abuse. Here's what's happening. They turned the memorial of selflessness into an experience of selfishness. Remember what I told you? Unlike with our table, where we just remember the elements, they, it was a part of a feast, it was a part of a meal, because they gathered all day long. And when you remember the body and blood of Jesus Christ, you're remembering an act of selflessness on the part of Christ for who? Who is it for? For mankind, for For humanity. He died for us. So when they came to that time of remembering that memorial, they turned it into an experience of what? Selfishness. It was all about them. So here's what would happen. Some would come and they have their food. And, and rather than waiting on everybody else, somebody maybe got a little impetuous on their own and said, well, you know, man, I brought this. I'm going to start eating. And so some were eating, and then those who came late didn't get any. And maybe they were poor. And you can almost see it. I can almost see this happening because it happens in my house. If you come over to our house for a party and Lori's got the cheese ball up there and she's got the crackers and stuff and she's got some other things. And you do this too. You, you, you don't wait. You do what? You grab a cracker and you take a little bit off the... And before you know it, half the cheese ball's gone. You know, so you've got to have a second cheese ball so it doesn't look bad. You, know. you, you can see it's natural. But it's selfish, isn't it? I'm being selfish when I do that, am I not? I'm not waiting on you. And, and I can't claim it's training because I've lived with Lori long enough now to know that I need to stop it. But I'm being, I've been trained. It had turned to a memorial of selflessness into an experience of selfishness. Here's the abuse. While one brother went hungry because he was poor, another brother drank to excess. You know, that, that, that still happens. Still happens. You think we would get it together, but we haven't. It's still happening in the church. We're so focused on our world and what we want that we can't bother looking over our shoulder at somebody else who maybe is hurting and can't make ends meet. But see, we're not so, we're not involved in their lives to know that they're hurting. We're we're just focused on our own lives. We're we're not involved in. Knowing that maybe times are tough and they got a little radiator in their house because they can't pay the gas or the the fuel or something. And we just assume, well, there's a government program to take care of it. The bottom line is this. He's not happy because they were doing this, except they were doing it with a meal. People were coming in who were poor. And let me be honest with you, most of the followers of Jesus, and this is still true to this day, are poor people are poor people. And they weren't willing to look across the aisle or look across the seat or look across the room and say, you know what? I'm doing okay at home. Maybe I better just fast today and let my brother have something to eat. Because let's be honest. I didn't have to eat the cheese ball. I got a woman who cooks for me. And I drive her crazy with all my requests of this meal and that meal. You know, but I could go without a meal, and that's what's going on here. Is they were they were so self-centered, so self-focused, they were turning the Lord's table into a mockery. Remove the Lord's table for a moment. We can be so self-centered and so self-focused, and be blessed by God and see others around us. See, God gives you what He gives you, not just for you. Let me just stop. You may want to write that down. God gives you what He gives you, not just for you. He gives you what he gives you so that it can be used by him for the benefit of others. And, and if you think I'm just talking about putting money in the offering plate of the church, you're dead wrong. If you, you, you need to understand me. We have a responsibility for, for the church, but that's fine. But a lot of times I talk about you helping others out around you. And some of, some of you, God has blessed more... And not just financially. Maybe God has given you an ability. For instance, you can work on an engine. If somebody's got an engine problem, you can replace their brakes for them. Or you can do plumbing in their house. And you're, and you're going to save them money because you're, you're using your gift for the kingdom. And that's reality. See, I, I think abuse is still taking place today. The overall issue is still taking place, not necessarily just at the table. The issue is the selfishness, focusing on self versus others. And it was being expressed at the table where it should not have been expressed. So here's Paul's rebuke. Paul tells them that they could act selfishly at home. Look at what he says there, verse 22. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. What's he saying here? He's saying, guys... Why bother is to come in? You could stay at home and be selfish. You are making a mockery of Jesus and the very nature of what the church is supposed to be by coming up and saying, it's all about me. Let me just explain something to you. Church is not about you. Church is not about me. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not about you and it's not about me. Here's what we do. We've gotten so used, we have a generation in the, in the United States right now that has gotten so used in several generations where we, we've gotten so used to it. church means that I just come, bless me today, George. Sing the songs I want to hear, Brad. And that's the attitude. And if it isn't what we want, we walk out here and say, well, that's was a waste of the day. Now, you may not say that, but you might think that or feel it. And that's because we have an attitude where church, see, here's what's happening. And this is the difficulty. This is the struggle. You, let me explain something to you. God is working in a mighty way around the world. There's only two places, and all missiologists say this. There's only two places in the world where God is not working. You want to know where he's not working? North America and Western Europe. Everywhere else, God is working in a mighty way. I kind of have an idea of why he's not working in a mighty way in the church in North America. You want to know why? Because church has been reduced down to... What can I get out of it for myself? And it's not, what can I do for others, Lord, and what can I do for you? In the rest of the world, it's, it's for you, Lord, for your glory. It's for the benefit of others. For us, it's what can we get out of it? And it's exhibited in weird ways. For instance, it's exhibited in what I call the smorgasbord Christianity. You say, what are you talking about smorgasbord Christianity? Well, it's like buffet Christianity. Everybody understand what a buffet is? I love buffets. A buffet is you go and you got a whole wide variety of stuff. So you get a little bit here, a little bit there. You get potatoes and you get that brown gravy. You get a piece of fried chicken. All of them have fried chicken. That's great. Got fried chicken and you know and whatever. And you get a little bit here and then you got a big dessert thing and you just get a little bit here. And when you say what's that got to do with Christianity? Well, I'll go to church over here because they got a good Sunday school. I'll go over there because they got a good movie night. I'll go to movie night there. I'll go over there because they got this and I got it over there. And we we spread out. Our commitment, that we're not committed to anything, just who? To ourselves. Now, that's, that's a little bit here, but in, in, in more populated areas, that happens a whole lot more than we realize. And it's all selfishness. And that's not what church is about. Church is about you looking next to you. When Brad says, look, there's a reason why Brad says at the, at, after the first song, all right, turn around and shake hands with somebody. It's not a formality. It's not a routine. The, the issue that Brad's doing is to get you out of your seat and get you to shake hands with somebody you wouldn't normally shake hands with. Now you say, well, that doesn't build a relationship. Well, it's the first step. It's the first step. So here's what's happening here. Paul tells them that they can act selfishly at home. You can act like that at home. But you know what? Your spouse doesn't like you acting that way at home either. And so that's what he's saying here. So here he goes on. And he describes for them what the table is about. He, he's got to bring it back to thinking about what the table is about. So look with me at verse 23 through 26. We quote these verses when we partake in the Lord's table. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying... This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Okay, first of all, the tradition. Paul delivered the tradition of the table as he was taught. Basically, he was sharing with them what the tradition of the table was that he was taught. Here's the bread. The bread represents the body of Christ which was broken for us. You guys know this. But we need to be reminded. The cup represented His blood that was shed for our salvation. The cup represented His blood that was shed for our salvation. Now here's the whole purpose of the table. The table proclaims the death of Christ until He returns. This is what the table does. The table... is reflective of the death of Jesus Christ until he returns. Now, look, here's the here's some instructions. So based on that, he's going to give them some instructions to help them with the issue they're facing. And this is what we're going to spend the rest of our time on. Look with me in verse 27 through 34. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord, But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. And the rest I will set in order when I come. Okay, here's the issue. First of all, the judgment. Partaking of the Lord's table in an unworthy manner results in God's judgment. Let me explain something to you. The judgment we are talking about here is not an eternal judgment of hell. What we're talking about here is what is often referred to as chastisement. Uh, a George Cannon way of taking it, saying it is being taken to the woodshed. Does everybody understand that one? We were watching Little House on the Prairie last night with the kids, and it was the episode, I forget what the name of the episode, where Charles looks at this boy and says, well, if you don't do the work, I'm going to bury your bottoms and spank you. That's what we're talking about here. God bearing our bottoms and whooping us. And that's what the issue is here. So if you are partaking in an unworthy manner, you're talking about judgment. Now here, let me just stop for a moment because even with us, okay, let's we'll, we'll transport ourselves over two thousand years to here. Even when we partake here, it's a serious thing. You need to take it seriously because we're meeting with Jesus. It's a spiritual moment. it's It's not it's a symbol. And the symbol represents things, but it's a serious moment because flippancy, you understand what I mean by being flippant, flippancy about it is inviting judgment in God's life because you're not taking serious what it represents. It's saying by your actions, oh, so Jesus died to me, big deal, big deal. You're not very taking very seriously the issue of the table. And he's wanting, he's wanting to communicate to them, guys, When you partake in an unworthy manner, you're inviting God's judgment in your life. So, for instance, you know, it's like this with your children. If they're not acting right, you what? Deal with it, right? Especially if you're with, you know, if if family comes over or guests come over and, and they're not doing right, you may take them out of the room and talk to them because you want to correct their behavior because they're not doing it's not respectful or you deal with them later when they're when they when they're gone now that was not appropriate or whatever and you, you you administer the punishment for that the issue here is is God's doing the same thing this is a serious moment it's not time for fun and play we're remembering what Jesus did for us because listen let me stop for a moment we got to we got to understand the seriousness of what we're talking about here we're talking about remembering what Jesus did for us on the cross that we didn't deserve. And it's serious because if He didn't do it, what would be your destiny? Hell. So do you think I should take it serious? And so what he's saying here is that when we remember what Jesus did for us, that's a serious moment. Now, there's time for worship. There's time for excitement. There's time for high fives and everything. But when we talk about what Jesus did, I remember, man, Lord, you died for me. I didn't deserve that. And so he's saying, if you partake, you're inviting judgment. Now, here, he goes on. Here's what the table does. The table requires each person to examine his life. See, when you come to the table and you recognize what it is that you're partaking in, that you're remembering through the symbol of the bread and the symbol of the cup, the death, the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the price that was paid for your redemption, for your salvation, it's time for you to sit there and seriously think about your life. Am I living a life worthy of Him? Is, is my life reflecting the grace of Jesus Christ in my life? Or am I selfish? Am I doing my own thing? Or am I flippant about His sacrifice and just thinking I can get away with anything? I just ask for forgiveness. It's a time for examination, and, and it's a time where you need to reflect upon your life, not think about, well, I hope we get out of here soon so we can watch the ball game. Or, man, I hope that roast doesn't burn. Well, I can't wait for that pork loin that Lori has in the oven. I hope we have mashed potatoes with it. Are we? Okay. All right. Uh, you know, because of the great, okay. You know, you know, so, you know, that, isn't that what we do? It's a time for you to examine your life. Here's what he says. Here's the consequences. Here's the consequences of our behavior. Wake up, listen to me. It's real. This is not just something that happened two thousand years ago. It's real today. Eating in an unworthy manner brings judgment. Henry Blackaby said this so often what we blame on the devil may be God chastising us. God may be trying to get our attention by the difficulties in our life because we're not living right. Because we're being selfish. And when we are selfish, especially at something at the table, we're inviting God's judgment in our life. We're being flippant. Listen, if you get to the point where you're blaming it on the devil, you've, you've deceived yourself because look, the devil is your enemy and he will do things against you. But listen to me. If you get to the point where you blame everything on the devil and it might be God's chastising hand in your life, the issue is that You've ignored the Holy Spirit talking to you about it because the Holy Spirit will have been convicting you. Well, I'll give you an illustration. It's like a family situation. It's like saying, Hey, take out the garbage. And they're still playing the Wii or something. Hey, I thought I told you to take out the garbage. You know, it ratchets it up. I can't get his attention by speaking. I got to get his attention by what? Yeah, punishment. No, no, no. We, it's a we-free day. Believe me, that that'll rip the heart out of a child. These days, you know what I'm saying? No, no computer. So he ratcheted up because they weren't listening. So, and this is what God does. He speaks to you through the Holy Spirit, through conviction, through conscience. It says you need to stop what you're doing. But if you harden your heart, God's got to turn up the heat in your life to be able to get your attention about your behavior. And that's what he's saying here, is that eating on what it ran and brings judgment, because God's going to get your attention about your behavior. Here's the other thing. It's evident by the fact that others are sick and, or even have died. When it refers to the issue of sleeping there, that's a term mentioned to death. Death. So some have even gotten sick. Some have even died because God couldn't get their attention. They were refusing his attention. So he decided, well, you know, better, it's better for them not to be there. I'll just take them home. That's a very real issue. Okay, let me just stop for a moment. Some of you are old enough to remember, maybe 40, 50 years ago, when this concept of God's chastising hand in your hand was taught. And there was a fear. You knew there was a line. And you didn't cross that line. But somehow in the last 20 years or so, we've just forgotten that. And we've preached forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. But there's no more line. Paul's telling us there's a line. And we need to get, we need to grasp the understanding of it. There's a line there. And he says, look, that line is there. If you eat in an unworthy manner, you're going to bring judgment. This is why some of you are sick. And this is why some of you have even died. Because you have crossed a behavior line with God. You're not listening to him, so he's ratcheting up to the point where he says, okay, I can't do anything more. I have to take them home. And that's what he's saying here. So then notice the nature of the judgment. Here's the nature of the judgment. Why is God doing this? Is he doing this just to be a mean dad? No. Here's the point. Self-examination defers God's judgment. Self-examination defers God's judgment. If I take the time, look at what he says there, verse 31, for if we judge ourselves, we would not be judged. See, if I take the time to step back and examine my life and say, wait a minute now, my behavior is wrong. My thinking is wrong. And we examine that, then we're deferring the judgment that God has to take in our lives. If we correct ourselves, here's the other, the issue is you can write this down. If we correct ourselves, this is, if we correct ourselves, if we step back and say, you know what? I didn't treat Lou right. I'm wrong in that behavior. Lord, forgive me. And I go to Lou and I go to Lou and I say, Lord, Lou, I'm sorry that I treated you that way. I'm I'm not going to invite the chastising hand of God in my life because I recognize my behavior and I dealt with it. See, God chastises us to get our attention about our behavior. But if I'm recognizing it, if I'm examining my life and I'm correcting it, I defer the judgment. I defer the chastisement. Okay, let me help you out. Write this one down. We are all messed up. Write it down. I know you like that. And don't put, everyone's messed up except me. Don't put that. I didn't say that. We're all messed up. And what am I saying by that? Every one of us could benefit by self-examination. None of us have arrived here. That includes myself. And believe me, Lori will tell you, I have not arrived. And she hasn't arrived either. All of us could benefit by self-examination of why we do what we do, why we treat others the way we do. All of us could benefit from that. And if we, as we do that self-examination, if we recognize that there is wrong behavior, wrong attitudes, wrong thought processes, if we bring those into captivity to Christ, we are deferring from God the chastisement issue. It's just like with your children. Think about it for a moment. You know, you discipline them, but if you see that they know that they've done wrong and, you know, they're going to deal with it and they recognize that, you're not going to come down heavy on them. You shouldn't. Does everybody understand me? You shouldn't. Because you want to encourage what? The self-examination. The self-examination. So he goes on then. Here's the purpose of God's judgment. God's judgment is to correct our behavior. Understand something to me. God is not some cosmic killjoy sitting up with a heavenly control panel saying, hmm, I'm going to make a man's life miserable today. I have nothing better to do just to make a man's life miserable. No, God is a loving God. He loves us so much. All of what he does is perfect love expressed to us. Even his judgment is perfect love because his judgment, his chastisement, his correction is for what? Correcting our behavior. Because he knows what's best for us. Let me just stop for a moment. Everybody understand, what is the purpose of discipline in the home with your children? Who can tell me that? What's that? Okay, to get them look at themselves. Okay, that's good, Rob. What else? What are you doing when you correct your children, when you discipline your children in your home? When you administer punishment, whether it's a timeout or whatever, what are you doing? What, what is the ultimate goal of punishment? Not a reaction to, because of your anger. What is it? Yes, getting ready for adulthood, you are helping them to what? Mature. My friends, that is what God does with punishment. Except with your children, you only got how many years to do it? (laughs) Ten, okay. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? You only got so many years to do it. With God, it's a lifetime. You understand? With God, it's a lifetime. Here's the other point. Here's their their instructions concerning the gathering. They were to be considerate of each other. Listen, again, coming in here is not about you. You can write that down. It's not about me, it's about others. It's not about me, it's about others. Coming in here is not about you. You know, I talk to pastors. I maybe have experienced some of this myself. And pastors always shake their head at the person that says they're leaving the church because their needs weren't being met. Because usually when they sit down and they talk about the individuals who say their needs aren't being met, they weren't reaching out to others in the church. And what's being reflected there is that their focus was on who? Themselves. And I'll be honest with you, with somebody like that, it doesn't matter if everybody laid down a red carpet for them, brought them a drink or whatever, gave them a back rub while they were sitting in the pew or whatever, and washed and waxed their car and changed the oil and, and things like that. And you know, gave them a credit on tithing or whatever, you know, and just said, you just don't need... It doesn't matter. if, if, if Even if they took care of them at home and, you know, and every life was perfect for them, they would never be satisfied because there's something deeper in their life that's not being met. And what they don't understand is that that need can only be met by meeting the needs of others. See, church is not about you. It's about other people. It's about other people. And so Paul says, look, when you're gathered together, quit being selfish, think about other people. That person who comes in there, this may be their only meal in the last three days. But for you, it's an hors d'oeuvre. Because you've had enough during the week, that person is starving. And, And that's the point he's making here. So where's what he says? Finally, he says to them, They should satisfy their hunger at home before gathering together. They should satisfy their hunger at home before gathering together. That's the real issue. They should satisfy the issue at home before gathering together. Okay, let's close our time in prayer.